life and they might say, well, I'll have that one because it suits me today and next week I'll have that one. I want to ask some questions just to ponder. As I was preparing for today, I was reading around the subject and several questions came to mind. I don't confess to know the precise answers. You may. Since the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ, we cannot preach the gospel without mentioning him in one way or another. And here are my four questions. What precisely must a person believe about Jesus in order to be saved? Secondly, how much of the truth about Christ must a person understand to believe? Thirdly, how little can a person believe and still be saved? And fourthly, how much can you be wrong about Jesus but still be saved? I'm sure on our spiritual journey we have lots of questions. And perhaps we might be one of those and thinking, well, I can't truly believe until I have answers to all of these things. Well, can I suggest that until Christ comes again, we will not know the answer to all those things. So simply, we need to say, Christ is my saviour, I trust him, and I will follow him. In the end, as I said, God, only God can answer those questions. Clive Calver once said, I do not doubt that some people will be in heaven who had a defective understanding of Jesus Christ. And there'll be others who had a correct theology, but they'll be in hell. That doesn't mean theology doesn't matter. To the contrary, it matters immensely. Because we are not saved by faith on its own, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself makes clear that what we believe matters to God. And in Matthew 7, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Some people who worked miracles and cast out demons in Jesus' name will not make it. They'll claim to know him. But, they, but he will say to them, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. So it's not enough just to believe in Jesus. We have to believe in the Jesus of the New Testament and understand. So who is Jesus Christ? Or to borrow a phrase from television, will the real Jesus please stand up? I just want to briefly share with you seven statements that I believe summarize the biblical teaching concerning our Lord Jesus Christ. The first one, he had a supernatural entrance into the world. We know from the Old Testament that many details of his coming were predicted hundreds of years before he came. In Genesis 1 verse 26 it says, God said, let us make man in our image. Let us, have you thought who that us is? Let us make God, make man in our image. Jesus wasn't an afterthought. Wasn't where God thought, oh blimey, everything's going wrong in the New Testament, I need to have plan B. No, he knew what plan B was with plan A at the very beginning. Isaiah predicted he'd be born of a virgin in the Old Testament. Micah identified his birthplace as Bethlehem. Galatians 4 tells us he came in the fullness of time, which means that God so arranged the circumstances that he was born at precisely the right moment that God wanted. Wow, God knew that hundreds of years before. What a great God. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit 
but born of the Virgin Mary. We often speak of the virgin birth, don't we? We will be at Christmas. But the real miracle took place nine months before that. Where the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary and created in her womb the divine human person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact he was born of a virgin means he had an earthly mother but no earthly father according to the flesh. No one ever has been born in this way apart from Jesus. So his birth was supernatural. He was God in human flesh. Theologians use the word incarnation to describe this truth. What it really means is that when Christ was conceived in Mary, God the Son took on human flesh. He wasn't half God and half man, but he was fully God and fully man. Try and get your head around that. It's difficult, but it's true. As he grew up, he went through the stages of normal human growth and development. When he was born, he was called Emmanuel, God being with us. To use an old phrase, Jesus was a son of God and God the son. That's why in John 20, when doubting Thomas finally saw the resurrected Christ, he fell on his face and cried out, my Lord, my God. Was Jesus more than man? He was man, but he was God. So the third point, he is a standard of absolute righteousness. What does righteousness absolutely mean? It means, in the dictionary definition, the quality of being right in the eyes of God. So when we're righteous, we're doing right in the eyes of God. We sometimes use that phrase, don't we? The sun shines on the righteous. Well, perhaps we should change that letter S-U-N to S-O-N. The sun shines on the righteous. The quality of being right in the eyes of God. When he walked on this earth, he was perfectly righteous. He's the only perfect 10 that ever lived. All the rest of us have fallen short of perfection. For Jesus, there was no sin outwardly because there was no sin inwardly. He was without fault. He was without evil. He never did anything wrong. He never broke any laws of God. He never deviated at all from the path of God. On the positive side, this means he perfectly fulfilled God's law. And most importantly, through his obedience to God, he won salvation for all those who follow him, i.e. me and you. And the fourth point, he did things only God can do. He made amazing claims, but he backed them up. Different to some of our politicians today who make amazing claims, but don't actually back them up. He said, I'm the living water, I'm the light of the world, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He even claimed the ability to raise himself from the dead. People who are only vaguely familiar with Jesus tend to underestimate this part of his teaching. They like to see him as a great moral teacher who should, showed us how we should live. C.S. Lewis remarked, a person who talked like Jesus talked if he wasn't who he said he was, 
He couldn't have been a good teacher. He must have been a liar, a lunatic, perhaps the devil in disguise. You can't have Jesus without dealing with his claims of deity, without being God. He was the one true God in human form. And the fifth point, he died as a sacrifice for our our sins. All of us know the end of the story, don't we? Through innocent of all wrongdoing, he was crucified as a common criminal. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, three times said to the masses, I find no fault in him. The Bible says he died as the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty, the good for the bad. He died as our substitute, standing in our place, taking our punishment, bearing our sins. With his own blood, he paid the full price for our disobedience. He was 100%, not 99.9, but 100% he obedient. And the sixth claim, sixth point, he proved his outlandish claims because who in their right mind would come along and say, I will rise from the dead. Yeah, yeah, go and have a bit of a rest. Obviously, you're not feeling too good today. But let me remind you of the events. Late on the evening of what we call Good Friday, his followers tenderly took his tender body from the cross. They wrapped him in grave clothes. They laid his corpse in a borrowed tomb, not far from Skull Hill, the place where he died. One thing the Romans, the Jews, and the disciples agreed on. Jesus was truly dead. Because of fears that someone might disturb and removed the body, an elite squad of Roman soldiers stood guard at the tomb, which was sealed and covered with an enormous stone. That was the Saturday. And then on the Sunday, Mary and the other woman came to the tomb. They had planned to anoint his body, but instead they found the soldiers unconscious on the ground. The seal of the stone was broken, the stone rolled away, but the angels were there and they announced that Jesus had risen from the dead. The women were confused and frightened and reported to the men the tomb was empty. But later that day, and many times over the next 40 days, the Gospels tell us that Jesus appeared in bodily form many times to his disciples. Then at the time that we call Whitson, he ascended into heaven where he now sits at the Father right hand. And after many, many years, skeptics have never provided a sufficient answer to this question. What happened to the body of Christ? No one ever found his dead body. Because by Easter Sunday, he wasn't dead. He was risen. That claim was made and it came to pass. Brilliant. And the last point of the seven. He will one day return to earth. With this final fact, we move from the distant past to the not-so-distant future. There's one more event in the life of Jesus Christ that we need to look forward to, and that is that one day he will return to this earth. He promised, I will come again. And the time is coming when he will come again. Some people look at the state of the world at the moment, And they look at Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and they say, wow, the end of the world is near. Look at what was prophesied. Look what's going on in Russia, Ukraine, the Middle East, in other parts of the world. 
is the end of the world just about us. He will come as he left, visibly and bodily. Do you think we'll believe it? If he comes this afternoon in the middle of wells, we don't know when, we don't know how. Will you believe it? Will you suddenly rush home and think, I better tidy up. Oh, I better make good with my mother and my father. Better do all these things. Quickly, he's come. I've got news for you. He already knows about all that, so you can't hoodwink him. But if there was a flash of light and something happened in the middle of wells this afternoon, what would you say? It's a UFO? Would we say Jesus has come again? His coming is not merely spiritual, but it's going to be actual and literal. This is an amazing thought. The same Jesus who was born in Bethlehem, who grew up in Nazareth, who turned water into wine, who healed people, who raised Lazarus from the dead, the same Jesus who entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday is coming again. The same Jesus who wept over Jerusalem is coming again. The Jesus who's probably weeping today for what's going on in the world. The same Jesus who was whipped, beaten, scourged, mocked, but who, who rose again. Wow, this blows your mind. And when we see J. John talking about all those things that Jesus is, can we say that about anybody else in our world? No. Argue with me afterwards if you think we can. A brilliant man who on this earth was God. And that's the Jesus who we believe in, I hope, this morning. Let me wrap up this message with a simple thought. Only the Christ revealed in the New Testament can save us. The world needs the Christ of the New Testament, doesn't he? Doesn't it? In the words of an old hymn, he can do the helpless sinner's good. We need a Christ that we can love and serve, adore and worship. And we need a Christ that we can preach with confidence to the nations. Yes, we can't and we mustn't keep Jesus to ourselves. If Jesus means so much to us, and hopefully this morning the picture that you know but I've just reminded us about, is an amazing person, an amazing God. We're told in Matthew 28, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples. How many disciples have you helped to make this past week? How many have I made in this past year? I'd rather not answer, and perhaps you'd rather not answer. But that's what we're instructed to do. This Jesus that is an amazing that we're to take that into the world that needs to hear. It's not a solemn thought, is it, to consider that there'll be people in hell who believed in the wrong person. Muhammad they believed in, Buddha, perhaps Joseph Smith, or put their trust and faith in the wrong things. We need to make sure we're not among that number and perhaps to make sure that our family and our friends are not amongst the number. In our family, we have two sons, as you know. One is a great Christian and the other one at Spring Harvest years ago made a commitment. But we don't see a living faith and Anna and I are often praying that he one day will become a Christian, 
Are you doing that for your family? Are you doing that for your friends, for your neighbours? If not, start today because that's what's required of us. When we preach the gospel, preach the full truth about Jesus. When people say, I believe in Jesus, check out what they understand. Do they mean, yeah, I believe in the Jesus that was born on Christmas Day that we can celebrate? Or does it go a lot more than that? Where else can people go to find fulfillment in life? Where can they go to the person who created them and the person who saved them from suffering and death? The Christ of the Bible must be the center of our message. You know, sometimes I've heard Christians over the years say, well, I'm not evangelist and I can't speak to people about Christ because I don't know all the facts. What you have as a Christian is a really powerful story of how Christ has saved you and what he's done for you. That's what you want to tell. How he's changed your life. How he's brought you from suffering and no hope to a life with hope. The Christ of the Bible must be the center of our message, but not just historical facts. What as Christians do we have to offer the world? If people are looking for something to join, well, they can join many clubs. Number of people today, they're joined a club and they're out worshiping their God, the golf course. If they're looking for a place to go, they can buy a ticket to, like some people here do, watch Somerset Cricket or watch Bristol City when they're doing well. Or they can watch the rugby. If they want good music, they can go to the O2 or to the new Aber experience in London, which I've told is really brilliant. Or they can go to the um, cathedral or the cathedral school and hear the musicians there. If they want to listen to a lecture, perhaps go to Wells Cathedral sometime for a lunchtime one. If they want to meet people, they can go to a social club, a sports club. However, and listen carefully, if your friends and family want their sins forgiven, where can they go? If they want to find a lasting purpose in life, where can they go? If they want eternal life, where can they go? If they want their guilt removed, where can they go? If they want answers to the deepest questions, where can they go? If they want to know what happens after death, where can they go? As Peter said to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? And in John 6, verse 68, he said, you have the words of eternal life. In Jesus Christ, we find the answer to our deepest needs. What our friends are looking for, they can find in Jesus. We have the answer. His name is Jesus Christ. We have the hope of the world. We have the saviour of mankind. We have the one who lifts every burden. We have the way, the truth and the life. We have the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. We have the water of life. We have bread from heaven. We have the giver of eternal life. We have the one who was and is and is going to come. We have the saviour who died and rose again. We have the victor over the grave. We have the risen, ascended son of God. We have the king of kings, the Lord of lords. His name is Jesus. And I could go on and on. Can we attribute those things to anybody else? I don't think we can. In fact, I know we can't. 
In the words of another song, let us exalt him, let us praise him, let us proclaim him to the ends of the earth. And as you take our, your Jesus into the world because he's changed our lives and all those people that are lost, there are 10 ways to do it. Firstly, know the gospel or the basic. Live your light in the light of the gospel so people can see you as a role model. Pray and fast for unbelievers. Be willing to share your life with unbelievers. Sometimes in another home group, I listen to Rodney talking. And he says he can't get enough about talking to people about Jesus. Let's do the same. Share the gospel with urgency. Because it could be tomorrow that Jesus comes. We don't know. Study the doctrine of hell to understand that we don't want our fellow family and friends to go there. Invite unbelievers to repent and believe. Invite unbelievers to come to church. Trust Christ that he'll do what he says because he's done it in our lives. Share with others and ask them to join you in prayer. As we think about the things here, we're going to listen to a song that is one of my favorites from years ago, and I know Neil and Dolly know this one as well. An American gospel singer years ago called Larry Norman, when you, look, you used to look at him from the back with his wife, you didn't know which was which because they all had long blonde hair. And years ago, when I was stage managing some Christmas concert, Christian concerts, I had the pleasure of meeting this guy. And one of his famous songs, he says, why should the devil have all the good music? Anyhow, this song is called The Outlaw. Images there. The question then to leave, who is your Jesus this morning? Who is your Jesus? Would the musicians like to come up? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for giving us your son, Jesus, in bodily form onto this earth so that we could become free, that we could be saved. As we go out into the world this very day, we ask that you'll give us the power and the strength and the presence to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, we're so grateful for all that you have done in our lives. And as we've heard this morning and seen, we can attribute many, many names to you that no one else in the world can have attributed to them. And Father, you told us not to keep this to ourselves but to be grateful for what you've done with us and through us, tell other people. Father, go with us today. Amen.